0: Answering the question, can we have different levels of faith at different times in our life? And along with that, if we do, the answer to that question is yes. And if we do, do we always, so to speak, start at the bottom level, no faith, and then little faith? Or just faith and then little faith and great faith and we never revert back. We never go down. It's always up or nothing. No, that's obviously not the case. We said this morning that we can see there's some, definitely definitely some people in the Bible who were at different levels of faith at different times. As a matter of fact, yeah, <laughs> quite honest with you, everybody but Jesus is there. Now, Jesus was consistent all the time. He always did the will of His Father. He always acted in line with the, with, with, with the Word of God. Of course, the Scriptures... But nobody other than Jesus Christ has ever done that. So there's nobody that gets saved, filled with the Spirit, and then begins to walk by faith and not by sight. Always great faith without any wavering, without any wandering, without any backsliding, without any uh, lapsing. No, it's, it just doesn't happen that way. And I think Abraham gives us a good example that perhaps we can relate to. Maybe better than some of these others. And so tonight as we look at Abraham, we saw this morning Abraham truly a, a, man, a, a man of great faith indeed. And our question tonight is, okay, Abraham always a man of great faith? And the obvious answer as we look at the word will be no. So when was Abraham ever weak in faith? And if he was weak in faith, and he was, what seems to be the reason that he had a relapse regarding his relationship with God in his faith, what seems to be the reason. Our first uh, incident of this would be found in Genesis chapter 12 through this morning. And I think it would be good to read those first nine verses again and then go right from that into verse 10. We want to look tonight at verses 10 through 20 first of all. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed, as the Lord has spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls they had gathered in Haran. and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sycam, unto the plain of Moreb, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there buildeth he an altar unto the Lord. That altar there speaks, of course, of worship, it speaks of prayer, it speaks of fellowship with God, it speaks of reverence. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still. Toward the south. And then we come to verse 10. I mean, here's a man leaving Ur of the Chaldees because God spoke to him. He has tremendous faith in the Lord. He's never been there before. He hasn't know really where it is. But we said this morning, he goes forth because he's obeying the word of God. He believes that what God says is true and can be relied upon. Now we come to verse 10. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. Why? For the famine was grievous in the land. It came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. How would we, what would we say in that? I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. How would we put that in our modern day terminology? A husband to say to his wife what? Thank you. I know you are. you are absolutely beautiful. I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Sarah, listen, you know. Uh, uh, you you are you are a beautiful woman we I know that okay therefore that's going to be a problem it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say this is his wife and they will kill me but they will save thee alive say I pray thee therefore that thou art my sister that it may be well with me for my for thy sake and my soul shall live because of thee and it came to pass that when Abram was coming to egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. That's not the end of the story, verse 17. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why dost thou not tell me? Why dost thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife, and all that he had. And by the way, a lot of things that Abram had from this point on, he got from being in Egypt. So here's the question. Why did Abraham do this? Can we put our finger on what we believe is the reason that he went from great faith to weak faith? I believe the answer is because of fear. Fear. And usually... Probably most of the time, or maybe not most of the time, a good part of the time, if we do not continue a relationship with the Lord that is summarized by great faith, oftentimes it is because of fear. It is because of worry. It is because of anxiety. And we begin to to doubt the Lord, we begin to waver, we begin to to wonder, is his word really true? And our fear increases, our anxiety increases, and it's not long in we're walking after our own desires and plans. So Abraham left Canaan, and he went to Egypt because of fear. Now, not always, but many times, Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world. God says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. God says back in the Old Testament, woe to him that, that, that goes to Egypt for help. It's the idea of, listen, I, I, I'm i not sure that God can take care of me here. I become filled with fear. I get worried. I say, well, well, how how can I get out of this? What can I do? I really want to survive. And it's like the world always has something to offer. The world will provide something that will give us some security, something that will make us feel like we can make this after all. So we, be, we depend upon the wrong thing. I was I was telling my wife just the other day that I was coming back from working out at the gym one night and I was coming down Northwest Expressway and I was thanking God for all that he has given to us through the years and how God has so wonderfully provided for us and met all of our needs and and above our needs and I said to my wife listen I don't ever want to depend I said to my wife I told her I told the Lord father I don't ever want to depend on anything I have I don't ever want to say I'm okay now because I've saved this much or we have this or whatever. I don't want it to be, I don't want any of my expectations or my security to be based on personal finances or personal things. Because I remember the verse in the Bible that says riches make themselves wings, they fly away. God can take away wealth really fast. He can take it away fast. He can take it away gradually. But God God gives us what we have. What we have is a gift from the Lord. And we never want to begin to rely upon what we have. Amen? Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rusteth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rusteth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Why? Because for where your treasure is, you finish it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I always want to be able to pray, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. I always want to be thinking, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want to always be depending upon the Lord. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. And the fact that the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In Philippians four nineteen, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I said, Heavenly Father, I don't ever want to depend on anything that we have that You've blessed us with. I want my dependency to always be upon You. Now we need to make we need to think like that. And if we don't think like that, then when difficulties come and we come into some kind of need of whatever kind, we start looking someplace we shouldn't be looking for help. And usually we look to the world. We look to secular things for help. And here's, here's Abram. He's just now in, in, in Canaan. We don't know for how long. And there's a famine on that, and it's a big-time famine. And it seems like his eyes get off the Lord. And he says, I've got to go someplace for help. And he heads on down to Egypt, and that was a sad decision for sure. And then, by the way, his weak faith then led him into another sin, the sin of lying, the sin of deception. By the way, keep your finger here. We're going to come right back. Would you go to chapter twelve, uh, chapter 20 for just a moment? We'll look at this passage a little bit later, okay, at the end of the message. But in chapter 20, he does the same thing here again in a different time in his life. And if you would, for now, for now, don't read the whole story. Just look at verse 12. we we'll read at 11 and 12. And Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed, notice please, and yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So really, it wasn't like he was totally dishonest. Sarah was his half-sister, but he leaves the impression, of course, here that she is just fully his sister, that she's not his wife, and now, if you know anything about culture in that time, here's what Abraham's thinking, okay, if these people, when these men see that my wife is beautiful, in this culture, society, especially in this heathen land of Egypt, I have to think that they're going to say, you know what? She surely is beautiful. She surely is beautiful. And, you know, I don't know why this guy has her for his wife, because she could be my wife, and I could get her for my wife if I could just get rid of him. So let's kill the husband, and I have the wife. That would be typical. He's thinking of what goes on down here probably. But now if I say she's my sister, then in their culture, in their custom, they will somebody's going to come to me and say, "Listen, I, I notice you've got a good-looking sister, and you know I'm thinking maybe someday she could be my wife. So could we get together and have a cup of coffee and talk about some arrangements that I could start making to, you know, I I I've got I've got sheep, I've got cattle, I've got gold, I've got silver, I've got real estate, I've got whatever you know. So I mean, whatever you think you want for your sister, you know, hey, listen, we can work that out. Abraham's probably thinking that'll give me a little time." Little stall here, and then I can head on back home sometime. I remember when, when my wife and I were in uh, Israel, we went to the Holy Land a long, long time ago. We went down to the old market in Jerusalem, and I, we had some experiences down there I'll never forget. I mean, this one guy comes up to me. We're in a store shopping, and this guy comes up to me, and he says, uh, how much do you want for your wife? She's a beautiful woman. I got yeah, I give you three camels and three sheep. I'm thinking that's not quite enough. Let's get some more here. Okay, no, no, no. Okay, but they say, oh, yeah, yeah. How much you want? You name the price. I like her. She's pretty. I tell, I tell you, I can, I can take care of whatever you need. And then we ran another, another place down there. And he says, he says, um, I like your hair. How much you charge to have some of your hair? You know, I mean, it's like, oh man. Now, that's just the way they live in some of these cultures in some of these different countries and so forth and so Abraham says listen if I say she's my wife I'm gonna die if I say she's my sister now I don't think Abraham's thinking hey yeah I get some mulah for my wife I don't think he's thinking that but he's thinking that'll give me some time and during this bargaining time and arrangements time we'll just slip out in the middle of the night and head on back home what he did was wrong Abraham and, and here's the main reason it was wrong not just the deception part but he shouldn't have even been there And by the way, when you get in the place you're not supposed to be, you can expect more temptations and more sin and more dead-end streets. That's just the way it is. Sometimes God allows you, when you make a mistake, sometimes God allows you to go back to where you made the mistake and, and, and do it all over again, but sometimes you can't do that. There's no turning back. But the problem is here, Abraham, listen, he had no word from God. And we said, I'm saying it over and over again on purpose. I'm not losing my mind, okay? God says that faith is simply taking God at his word, believing it's true, relying upon it, and therefore making decisions and acting accordingly. And when you start at chapter 12, as we did this morning, and you read in verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, And then you go down to verse 4, and so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. You get the idea here that there's communication between God, Jehovah God, and Abraham. God is speaking, and Abraham's responding. When you come to verse 10, that's like over. There was a famine in the land. There's nothing about God saying anything to Abraham. God told Abraham to leave Ur and go to Canaan, but we have no record that God told Abraham to leave Canaan now and go down to Egypt. There was a famine in the land. Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the land was grievous in the land, period. So the problem is, Abram's got his eyes off the Lord. He's moving forward on his own now without the word of God. But he should have trusted God for provisions in Canaan. While he was in Egypt, if he was because he was there, but he shouldn't have been there, then when this thing came up in his mind about my wife is beautiful and I'm going to die, he should have trusted the same God that took, that took care of him all the way from Ur, all the way through those, those hundreds of miles through the desert, all the way to Haran, and then all the way down to, to, to Israel, and all those miles and all that country. Listen, everybody, everybody along the way wasn't a nice guy. He could have lost his wife a long time ago. But the same Abram that trusted God in all of that trip, now in Egypt, should have trusted God to take care of him and to take care of his wife because he should have been thinking, listen, God has promised me that Sarah and I are going to have a son. It's the same thing about her having a son from somebody else after I'm dead. He promised me that Sarah and I were going to have a son. And from this son, the Messiah would come. From this son, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. And that is not going to happen if I'm dead and she's married to somebody else. That's how he should have been thinking. But he's not thinking that now. And by the way, I think this is interesting. God graciously rescued Abraham and Sarah. I mean, when you read this story and how it all turned out, you have to say, oh, We should be thankful for the grace of God, for the mercy of God. So what does he do? Abraham does the very best thing to do. As God delivers him in his grace, notice, if you will, please, again, verse, not again for the first time, chapter 13, verse 1. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, Into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south, even back to where? Bethel. He went back to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and high, and upon, excuse me, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there, Abram, out loud together, please, he called on the name of the Lord. Now, let me just say tonight, when you and I get away from the Lord, when we make wrong decisions based on a lack of faith for whatever reason, in this case, I believe fear, when God does in his grace speak to us and he does convict us and we know that we've been wrong, we know we've done the wrong thing, we know we're in the wrong place, we know that we are out of the will of God because we are not living according to the word of God. So we're not living by faith. The best thing we can do is go back to the worship of the Lord. Go back to the altar. Go back to the place where we were freely. We were free in our communication with the Lord. And it's a time of confession. It's a time of renewing our relationship with the Lord. It's a time of getting things right with the Lord. It's a time of, once again, reverencing God, fearing the Lord, wanting to be surrendered to the Lord, and living with this thought in mind every day. Lord, what will thou have me to do? Listen, I hope when you get up in the morning, you pray that. If you don't pray it out loud, or you don't, Pray those exact words. I hope that your attitude as you get up in the morning is always, Lord, what do you have for me today? You say, well, I don't have to pray that. It's the same old, same old every day. I go to my job and work all day. I come home, I do this, and I go to bed. Why do I have to pray that? That's a wrong way to think. That's a very wrong way to think. Every day we should be saying, Lord, what will thou have me to do today? At work, in my free time, wherever I am, doing something outside the home, while I'm home, Lord, what's your will for my life? Abram, I love this. He goes back to Bethel, and the focus in Bethel is on the altar. He worships God at the altar. There is, I believe, the first mention of Abram in his lapse of faith. Okay, And God assures him. Once again, God reassures Abram of his promise of a son, and so forth. Back in Genesis chapter 15, in fact, go to chapter 15 if you will for just a moment. We will not read verses one through seven again, but that was the passage you read this morning that it had that that had that verse six in it. Remember, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted unto him for righteousness. It, he counted it to him for righteousness. Remember Romans chapter four. We're not saved by works. We're saved by either grace or works. It's either faith in Christ or it's grace or works. It can't be both. And God says, if you want to know what this is all about, just look at, look at Abraham. He gives us the best example. What does it say? What does the Bible say? What does it say in the scriptures? Oh, it says back there in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed in the Lord. He believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it, counted it to him for righteousness. Now look, please, at verse 7. And he said unto him, I am the Lord. So right after we have verse 6. So he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Right after that, we read these words, and he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees. He reminds him that. He says, Abraham, don't forget. Now, I'm the Lord God, the one who, who that brought you out of, the, out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Now, look at verse 8. And he, Abram, said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? So how do I know that I'm going to inherit it? I think there's just a little doubt there, perhaps. I don't want to be too hard on Abraham here, okay? Maybe just a little wavering, just a little hesitation. God says, I am the Lord, the Lord that brought you out of the Chaldees, or of the Chaldees, to give you this lamb to inherit it. And instead of Abraham saying, I know, you already told me that. That's wonderful. I'm excited about that. He says, Well, now, how shall I know that I shall inherit it? When I read that, I think of two other people in the Bible. One of the people that I, that I think about, I have to believe that there was doubt, because he said almost the same thing, and God says, oh, you having trouble taking me at my word, having trouble believing? Okay, here's what's going to happen. What was his name? Anybody? New Testament. Luke 1. Go there. You don't remember Luke 1. The reason I think perhaps there's some doubt here, a little hesitation, a lapse of faith in Abraham, a little weakness, is because I read about the father of John the Baptist. What was his name? Zacharias, verse 8, or verse 7. They had no child. Well, I don't want to read the whole thing. Let's just start at 7. He and Elizabeth had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias. Don't be afraid. Why? Thy prayer is heard. You've been praying, okay? Thy prayer is heard. Thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have great joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled. I mean, this is your son that you and and Elizabeth are going to have, okay? You've been praying about this, okay? You're going to have a son, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and it shall, and it shall, excuse me, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the and the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make really a people prepared for the Lord. Verse eighteen. And Zacharias said unto the angel, just about exactly what Abraham says to the Lord. Well, whereby shall I know this? How shall I know this? I know what you've told me, but how shall I know this? For I am an old man. My wife is well stricken in years. The angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day when these things shall be performed. Don't miss the rest of the verse. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. That has to be a rebuke. I told you that you and Elizabeth are going to have a son. God doesn't lie. But you chose to say, well, how can this happen? Because, you know, we're both really old. I said, okay, let me tell you something. It is going to happen. I keep my word. But you're not going to speak from this moment on. You're not going to be able to speak until this boy is born. Question, did that happen? Yes, it did. So in my mind, I have to think this is similar back here to Abraham who says, well, now you just said I'm going to inherit the land of Canaan. But now how do I know that this is really going to happen? But there's one other example of something similar to this that make me not totally sure. In fact, it's also in Luke 1. Why don't you look beginning at verse um, 26. In the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Thou shalt be thou shalt consume, excuse me, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. Notice please, verse thirty-four. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Anytime I've ever read that, I never, ever saw any doubt. I don't see any doubt in that. I don't see any lack of faith in that. I think she believes the word of the Lord, but it's like, okay, well, then how is this going to happen? And it may be the same back there for Abraham, but I love the answer that came back. She said, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered her and said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Look down at verse 37. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Now go back, if you will, please, to Genesis. Go back to chapter 15. And just look at that verse again and we'll go to a third time when I believe there's a lapse of faith in Abraham. We're not totally sure about, the, about Genesis chapter 15, verse 8. And he, Abraham, said, Lord God, whereby shall I know this that I shall inherit it? How, how, how shall I know that I truly will inherit it? And I think if there is a lapse of faith here, I don't think the question here, therefore, the cause is fear. I think it's basically a lack of understanding. I use the word ignorance or lack of understanding. How, how, how is this going to happen? I don't want to read something here it's not here, but it seems so impossible, Lord. It's just here I am, and there's all these Canaanites round about. It's their land. I'm just a foreigner here. I'm an alien here. I'm a stranger here. I'm a pilgrim here. So I know what you said, but how is this going to happen? And I just want to say this. I think sometimes... We have a lapse in our faith when we don't understand why something's happening that's happening. We don't understand how God's promise is going to be fulfilled because of our own ignorance. And listen, what does God say? My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Listen, if we could understand everything how God thinks and know everything that God is going to do, (laughs) we would not be mere. Mortals with uh, with finite wisdom, we'd be God ourselves. There's just so many things that God knows we don't know. We don't know the mind of the Lord in so many things, and and, and so many things. His thoughts are so much above our thoughts. His ways are so much above our ways. His omniscience, his all knowing, and his and his being omnipotent, is all powerful. That is so far above our comprehension. As sometimes as you say, well, I don't see how this is going to work out. If, I had, if we had time for testimonies tonight, and I said, would you stand on your feet and tell me, would you be willing to say sometime in your life where you came into some situation, and quite honestly, it made no sense to you, and you said, I don't know how, th- I know what God has said. I know the word of God, but I don't see how this is ever going to work out. You say, how can this be? And you read a verse in the Bible, and God says something, and you say, yeah, I know, you don't say this out loud, but God, I know what you're saying here, God, but, like, I don't see how it can ever happen. Most of us have been there sometime, and sometimes we've been there many times. Amen? Is that true? What did Jerry Savinsky, Evangelist Savinsky, say when he was here? I remember he said in some message, he said, there have been times when I what? He said, I lay down, on I lie on the floor, and I say, God. Remember what he said? He said, several times I found myself lying on the floor saying, God, I don't know what to do. And I'm sitting there thinking, I can relate to that. I've been there a few times. It's like whatever the situation is like, it makes no sense it doesn't look good. It seems impossible. And frankly, I'm supposed to do something right now, and I don't know what to do. Well, there's Abraham. He says, how are you going to do this? We won't take time to read it. I wish we had time. But in the rest of the chapter, just read it when you get home. You know, what, you know what God does? Once again, he's gracious. He reaffirms his covenant to Abraham to convince him what I just told you is true and it's going to happen. You are going to have this land. Your seed is going to have this land forever. God does a really interesting thing. It's in the last part of chapter 15. And now please would you go to chapter 16. Because we have another little problem here. Abraham now he, 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 he kind of takes matters into his own hands. He gets a little ahead of the Lord. Quite honestly, what's involved in this is now he's he's going to help God out. Would you agree with me? God doesn't need help, right? In difficult situations, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was, together, Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from burying. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I, may have, that I might obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And he gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. He went in unto Hagar, and, wouldn't you know it, she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee; I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she was that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. And Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand; do to her as it pleaseth thee. When Sarah dwelt and when Sarah dwelt, dealt, dealt hardly with her. She fled from her face. We'll stop our reading there. What's the problem here? Abram yields to his wife's suggestion. That she had, listen, she has a suggestion that she could have the promised son by way of Hagar. And so Abram says, Well, that I can see that. That would, that would help God. And I put in my notes, God does not help, God does not need help from man regarding keeping his promises. In fact, God had never said to Abraham, he had never promised Abraham, you and Hagar are going to have a son, and in your son we're going to have the Messiah and all the nations of the earth. No, God had never said that to Abraham. There was nothing about Abraham and somebody else. It was all about Abraham and Sarah. Now, you probably know this, but the legal custom in that day was that if a barren woman, a woman who had not had a child, if she had a maid, then that she could give that maid to her husband as, we're going to say, his second wife. If a child was born from that union, then if the, if the husband would say to the son, I want you to be my son, then he would be considered the son of the first wife and the son of the inheritance. And so Sarah has this idea. It's hard for me in my imagination to think of Abraham agreeing to that, but he does. Now question, was that the will of God, yes or no, out loud? That was not the will of God. This is not great faith on Abraham's part. It has to be another lapse in faith. And by the way, when you get out of the will of God, trying to help God out of a bad situation, you might as well put it down. You're you're usually going to have a dead-end street that is all sadness. It is all more trouble than you can imagine. It's like, how in the world did I ever get here? Probably because you wanted to help God out. Because you got a little desperate. That's exactly what Abraham's doing here, helping God. In a moment of weak faith, he gets just a little ahead of God. And by the way, what do I think is the cause of why Abraham did that? We had the cause of fear. We had the problem of ignorance, not understanding what's going on here. And now I think we have, as a cause, um, a delay in the working of God. I mean, they had been there now 15 years. And God has promised you're going to have a son. And I believe, as I preach this morning, there's enough in the scriptures that says, and God says, Abraham really believed the word of God. So much so that God says, you're righteous. But obviously, he didn't fully believe all the time. And now, because it's been 15 years is it 15 in Canaan? 10, 15 in Canaan? I just read it, can't remember. It's like, okay. Uh, this has been a long time, and there's still no son. I mean, I have to think this way. Or when Sarah came to him and said, "Abraham, listen, honey, I got an idea. I really have an idea. You know, Hagar, we got down there in Egypt, our our handmaid. I could give you, I could give her to you as your second, as your second wife. And maybe God will give you and Hagar a son, and that's the answer to God's promise." Abraham did not have to say, okay, sounds good to me, let's go. He didn't have to say that. He could have said, honey, you don't understand something. Whoa, 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 you're not thinking right. Babe, listen, you're not thinking right. God said the promise of a son was for me and you, not somebody else. Bad idea, I vote no. He didn't do that. Where is his faith? He kind of does what Adam does with Eve back in the garden. He goes along with her suggestion, and that's a sad thing. So we have a lapse of faith. We find ourselves looking for, we find ourselves taking an alternate plan. Not God's plan. This was not the word of the Lord that came to Abraham and said, do this. It was the word of Sarah, his wife, who said, let's do this. And he said, okay. Watch out for the alternate plans in a time when things aren't happening, perhaps as fast as you think they should happen. There's some delay here that you don't understand. And it can be in many different areas of life. There's a lot of people, I'm sure, tonight in this auditorium that this could really apply to your life in some way. It's like just just some alternate plan because God's not moving quite fast enough here. And once again, what does God do? In his grace, he works it all out. And by the way, you know this. I'll ask you a question. Hagar becomes Abram's second wife, and Ishmael is born. And even though it wasn't God's plan, True or false. It ended up being a really good thing because the Ishmaelites and the Israelites have been great friends ever since. Amen? <laughs> if the Israelites have had any constant problem, who's been a problem? The Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites and the Israelites, they just don't get along. And you say, well, where did that all start? Right back here in the passage of scripture we just read. Okay? Let's go to one more and we're done. Go to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. And if you have a Schofield Bible, probably nobody does. Well, a couple of you do. Right after chapter 20, if you have a Schofield Bible, what does it say? Anybody out loud? Oh, thank you. Two or three of you here. Abraham's lapse at Gerar. Lapse of what out loud? Faith. Well, let's read this story and we'll be done. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country. And he dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister. Have we ever heard that before? (laughs) Same song, second verse, a little louder, a little worse, okay? He says, she is my sister. Well, let's see what happens this time. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, was sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him. This is an incredible story. Don't miss this. I wish I had another 15 minutes. I don't. Behold, thou art but a dead man. This is God speaking to Abimelech now, okay, this king in this Canaanite country. He came to a dream in a dream by night and he said, behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, she is another man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near to her. What does that mean he had no? He had he had not had any physical relationship with her, and so he says, "Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation?" Said he not unto me that she's my sister? That's what he said, and she even herself she said, "He is my brother." In the integrity of my heart, O God, and inency and in inency, in innocency. Inocency, have my hands of my hands? I've done this. Listen, I didn't know, I didn't know it was somebody else's wife. This is what he said, this is what she said. Just try to be a man of integrity here. Verse seven now, therefore, restore the man his wife. Excuse me, I'm sorry, verse six. And God sent unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. You know, hey, listen, I've been, I've been at work, okay, I've, I've held you back. Therefore, it I thee not to touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. And don't you love this? He shall pray for thee. This guy who lied to you now, he's going to pray for you. Now, therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee. And thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore, smart man, Abimelech rose up early in the morning. And he called all his servants, and he told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then it gets better. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, what hast thou done unto us? What have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that, that oughtn't to be done. This is a rebuke of a godly man by an unbeliever. This is pretty sad. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham tells us the story, folks. He said it now. Listen to what he says. And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place. And they will slay me for my wife's sake. Yet indeed, she is my sister. She is, the daughter. she is my sister. She's the daughter of, of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. What does Abraham say? You know why I did this? Because I didn't trust the Lord. I thought, you know what? This is a bad area, and these people are not decent people. They're not righteous people, and I am going to die, and Sarah is going to be somebody else's wife. In that verse 11, Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. They will slay me for my wife's sake. Verse 14, and Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men's servants and women's servants and gave them to Abraham and restored him, Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, behold, this is gracious, folks, behold, my land is before thee. Dwell wherever it pleases you. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Is that an incredible story or not? It's Abraham. It's Abraham, this man of great faith. But he does the same thing he had done before. And I want to close by saying tonight, that is very typical of us, is it not? We don't just relapse or relapse in our faith. We don't just revert. We don't just go back from great faith to little faith. But sometimes, sorry to say, it's for the same reason. It's the same situation. And you know what you're tempted to yield to, and I know what I'm tempted to yield to. But what is it out there that can come in and beat down our faith, weaken our faith? So we go from great faith to weak faith or little faith Because of what is it? Let's pray, please. Father, tonight, we want to be heroes of faith. We want to be people, Father, who are controlled, dominated, filled with your Spirit all the time. And we know that one of the results, one of the products of the fullness of the Spirit is faith. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith and temperance. We believe tonight that when we're spirit-filled, we're word-filled, we will be people of great faith. You know our weakness. As a songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And we sometimes don't trust you like we could and should. Our eyes get on ourselves, others, situations, and begin perhaps to fear. Or we, we're confused, we don't understand something. Or there's a, a seeming delay. And we take matters into our own hands. Help us, I pray, like Abraham, to go back to Bethel. Father, to go back to the altar. Back to the place of worship and prayer and fellowship with you. And confession and consecration. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we stand, please, together tonight?